Uh, what a great joy and privilege that is. Uh, having then heard God's grace uh, given to us, let's now open God's Word. Our scripture reading comes this morning from John chapter 21. The first of our two scripture readings, John 21. John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So far from the Gospel of John, let's also turn now to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. First Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So far from uh, the letter of Peter... 
Uh, having now heard the word of God, let's uh, respond in praise by singing from Psalm 67, stanza 1. On our minds as we prepare to hear the word of God preached. 1 Peter 1, then, the verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So far the word of God. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this morning we have the uh, opportunity of beginning a new series of sermons uh, that will be based on the first letter of Peter, uh, which is, as I've done my initial studies, not to mention uh, my previous experience with this book, um, I've found it to be a, a profoundly rich uh, and beautiful uh, and very practical uh, section of Scripture. Uh, I can hardly overstate uh, then how, how uh, uh, excited I am to, to be working through this book, and I, I hope and, and trust uh, that you too will find deep riches uh, in this short letter of Peter. I want to start by just sharing a, a couple of quotes from some of the commentaries uh, that I've been working on to give you a sense of how they uh, are approaching this book. Uh, one of the commentaries introduces the book with these words, uh, he says, this book is the product of a long relationship with First Peter. When I first read Peter's epistle as a brand new Christian, it seemed to me like the distillation of, a whole, uh, of, excuse me, of the whole of Christian theology and much of the Christian life. So uh, the whole of Christian doctrine and a good part of Christian life distilled into one short uh, letter. He goes on, uh, this epistle presents Jesus as both redeemer and exemplar of the holy life. Uh, it offers the broadest principles for Christian living. It grounds them in the work of Christ, both past, present, and future. And then it presents norms for life in the family, at work, and in society at large. That's a, a, a large goal to accomplish in one small letter to do all of that. Uh, another commentary still puts it this way. He says, This letter is the most condensed New Testament summary of the Christian faith and the life that it inspires. Uh, the most condensed New Testament summary. Uh, maybe just one more. Uh, another commentary writes, uh, Perhaps the, the reason this letter is universally relevant uh, is due to its presentation of how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundational principle by which the Christian life is lived out in a larger unbelieving society. I'll say that again so you can have that uh, in, your, in your brains. Uh, perhaps the reason it is universally relevant is due to its presentation of how the gospel of Jesus is the foundational principle, so the gospel is the basic principle by which the Christian life is lived 
in a larger, unbelieving society. Uh, That is what makes this letter so powerful. It shows us how the gospel is central to living the Christian life in an unbelieving world. Uh, What all of these commentaries then are saying uh, is that the letter of Peter is all about seeing what Christ has done and is doing for us and then seeing how to live in light of that gospel truth. Uh, And my prayer for us is that that's what we would also see as we work through the letter of Peter. What Christ has done and is doing, uh, and you might add will do for us, and then as a result, uh, how to live as a Christian in light of those gospel truths. Uh, I want to just say a couple of things by way of introduction. First of all, uh, we should uh, take a quick look at the author. Uh, the, the human author of the letter, the divine author, of course, is God himself, uh, but the human author is Peter. Uh, now, there are a few liberal scholars that say, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it can't be Peter. Uh, you have that for every book of the Bible. They say, oh, the author, it says, isn't actually uh, the author. Uh, but there, oh, the evidence is overwhelming that the author really is Peter. Uh, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus. That's, that's a clue. Uh, to the fact that this might be Peter that's writing it. Uh, The early church fathers, including from the very days of the apostles themselves, received this as a letter from Peter. Uh, So Peter could have said to everyone, guys, I didn't write this, uh, if he wasn't the one who wrote it. It was received from his own days uh, as written by Peter. And it's been that way uh, throughout church history, always received as a letter from Peter. Uh, So you might ask, why do they even suggest that it couldn't be Peter? Uh, Well, the main reason that some scholars say it couldn't be Peter is the Greek is too refined and too polished uh, to come from a Galilean fisherman like Peter. Uh, They appeal to Acts 4, verse 13, where it explicitly says Peter was an uneducated common man. Uh, And so they say, how could an uneducated common man write uh, a letter like this? Well, a couple of things about that. Number one, uneducated doesn't mean unintelligent. Uh, and liberal scholars should probably begin to recognize that truth more broadly. Uh, number two, uh, the, the context of that quotation where it says that he was uneducated and, un, and, and common uh, actually says more about how Peter could have written this letter uh, because the, the broader context is Peter's preaching and the crowds are amazed at his preaching, and they say to one another, how can such a man preach like this? Isn't he uneducated and common? Which kind of suggests he could have written a a letter like this. And and perhaps the most important point, uh, the fact that Peter both preached that way in that passage and writes this way in this letter uh, is actually more of a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit working in this uneducated common man, which is kind of the point. Uh, It's not just Peter who wrote this letter. It's the Holy Spirit working in Peter who wrote this letter. Uh, The fact that God can produce a masterpiece painting with a crude brush uh, simply testifies to the power and wisdom of God, not to how impressive the brush is. It was not ever the brilliance of Peter or the eloquence of Peter that produced such a dear 
dearly treasured book of our scripture. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in Peter. It's the power of God in a humble Galilean fisherman uh, to speak the true and abiding words of God to God's people. Uh, So, the fact that Peter was uneducated and common is a testament to the power of of the inspiration of the Spirit within him. Uh, And that's what makes this letter so so powerful for the church. Uh, We see that these, these words that were penned by Peter were given to us, not ultimately from Peter, but from our God and Father himself. Uh, so I say all that not just to counter the, the skeptical impulse of the liberal scholars uh, that are out there, uh, but also to help prepare our hearts uh, to hear these words not primarily as coming just from Peter, but to hear them as coming to us from the Spirit of God. Secondly, something about the uh, intended readers of the, the letter. Uh, Peter addresses this letter to what he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, all told, that's a, a very wide region uh, to which he's writing. It includes most of modern-day Turkey and, and a, a few of uh, the surrounding countries as well. Uh, So something we want to recognize about this letter uh, that is particularly important for us then is unlike the other epistles of Scripture, this was not written to one particular congregation. It wasn't meant for one particular church. It was meant for the whole of the Christian church, uh, which would, of course, include us. Uh, The word exiles and the word dispersion uh, both speak to the fact that Peter is writing here uh, to persecuted Christians. And we're going to see that uh, theme just coming back again and again. Peter's writing to suffering Christians, persecuted Christians, Christians who've been forced out of their homeland and then scattered, uh, dispersed over a wide region. Probably most of them would have come from Jerusalem and Antioch and that surrounding area. Those were the first two Christian churches. Uh, and, and they were the first to, to face severe persecution coming from their fellow Jews. Uh, in fact, uh, if you remember, the Apostle Paul would have, before he was a Christian, would have been one of their first persecutors. Uh, so some of the people to whom Peter may be writing might have originally been forced out of their homelands by none other than the Apostle Paul. Uh, these believers would have also included both Jews and Gentiles, uh, both of them mixed together. Uh, Peter speaks later on of them having been redeemed from the uh, futile way of life handed down from their forefathers. Uh, That kind of language seems to suggest he's primarily thinking of Gentiles, uh, because you wouldn't describe uh, their forefathers in the covenant as as having that that futile way of life. Uh, At least that's not normal uh, to speak that way. Uh, So it seems that Peter's probably primarily writing to Gentiles here. Uh, but certainly they would have included many of the Jews who were also, like the Jewish Christians, who were also scattered by, by this persecution. And so we've seen the author, we've seen the uh, readers. Uh, finally, I want to say something about the purpose of this letter. Uh, why? Why is Peter writing this letter? Uh, he actually gives us the answer in chapter 5, verse 12. 
In chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Therefore, stand firm in it. Uh, What that means then is that at its heart, this letter is Peter's testimony to the grace of God. Uh, It's a summary uh, and application of God's grace. If there's anything he wants the readers to pick up, it's this is how good, this is how gracious God has been to you. Uh, And we're going to see this again and again throughout this letter in many different ways. It's God's grace in choosing us, from eternity. It's God's grace in sanctifying us and setting us apart from the world. It's God's grace in covering us with the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. It's God's grace in leading us in holiness. That too is God's gift to us. It's grace from beginning to end. I want to encourage you in this. We're going to see this in the in the coming months, uh, the, the abundant and amazing grace that God has given to us. We are, if nothing else, recipients of God's grace. Uh, that's the only thing we get to boast in, but man, do we get to boast in it. Uh, we are heirs of the grace of God. Uh, and, and when we learn, uh, when we see that and take that to heart, we also begin to learn how to live out of that grace, uh, which which is a a radically different life than the unbelieving life of the world around us. That's not based in self-righteousness. It's based in, I'm an heir of the grace of God. Uh, So we can be prepared then to hear that and see that in this letter. Uh, My promise to you uh, as a congregation is this. uh, If we come to God's word here in 1 Peter, uh, as anywhere else, if we come expectantly, that is, ready to hear God speak to us, uh, knowing that this is not something Peter could have written on his own, but something the Spirit inspired in him for us, then we will also learn things and see things about God's grace that will speak to our very souls and shape and and change the course of our very lives. That's what God's Word does to us. Uh, So if we come expectantly, we can expect then to hear God speak to us. Having said that, then I want to spend just the remaining uh, portion of our time looking at the greeting that Peter gives in in verses 1 to 2. And I want to see three things there. Uh, Number one, the apostleship of Peter. Uh, Number two, the identity of the church. And number three, the amazing message of the gospel. Uh, Real briefly, first, the the apostleship of Peter. Uh, Peter starts with this, the very first words, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Notice for a moment just how confident Peter is in that calling. Uh, it would take a lot to, to be able to write to a church or write to a wide gathering of believers and, and write your name as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But Peter is, ha, has no insecurity about that calling. Uh, he's not ashamed to call himself an apostle. Uh, why? Because he recognizes that's what Christ called him to be and so he stands boldly on that ground. Uh, and that's important because 
these are the, this is the kind of introduction that does not come from a man uh, who, who has not seen the, the risen Christ himself. It's the kind of introduction that comes from someone who saw Christ ro- risen from the dead and heard the risen Christ call him to be an apostle. And so he can write with boldness, Peter, an apostle, because that's who Christ called me to be. Uh, that kind of title might be, we might regard that as arrogant for anyone else uh, to claim for themselves. But for, for Peter, uh, this is just what Christ has called him to be. Uh, He's seen uh, the the risen Christ. He's experienced the power of the Spirit uh, from the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter, of course, was the one who preached to the crowds on Pentecost. And so he speaks and writes with boldness because he knows this is the truth. It's the same boldness and conviction that we we saw a moment ago that the crowds were amazed at. uh, that, That boldness and conviction of the Apostle Peter. Secondly then, uh, so that was the apostleship of Peter. Secondly, the, uh, the church, the identity of the church. Peter calls them elect exiles. Uh, now they were exiles, as we saw, because they were driven from their homes. Uh, and, and that's why a large part of this letter is devoted to the theme of, of suffering and alienation. Uh, and, and so they were confronting for the first time the reality of what it means to be uh, a Christian uh, as an exile in the world. Uh, And that theme of being in exile is something we want to spend a moment reflecting on. Uh, Many of us might hear that term, uh, Peter calling us exiles, and and we might even push back against that uh, because we would say, well, are we really exiles? Aren't we called to be citizens of our country, of our nation? Aren't we supposed to work for the good of our nation? Uh, This is uh, perhaps a, a special problem for us Reformed folk, because we uh, rightly have a a strong sense of our duty to to engage our culture. The Reformed churches have always uh, had that, uh, that cultural engagement. Uh, And that's true. We're called to be a blessing in our nation. This is why we have groups like ARPA working in the government. Uh, So we're not, we're good at seeing ourselves as, as as citizens, we might not be so good as see, at seeing ourselves as exiles. Uh, and, and that's what Peter calls us. Uh, and the reason he calls us that is because we are citizens, but not primarily of Canada. Uh, we're not primarily citizens of this country. We're citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Uh, and that's where we take our cue. Uh, so, so if there's cultural engagement... Uh, or or cultural influence that we as a church have on our culture, it needs to be a one-way street. It needs to be uh, the kingdom of God engaging the culture of the world, not the culture uh, reverse-engaging us here in in the kingdom. Uh, As we saw in our study in Colossians, we live kingdom down, not culture up. Uh, We are to influence our culture and our nation with the values of Christ's kingdom, uh, we are not to have it go the other way around, where our culture and our nation uh, are ultimately doing all the influencing on us. It's what Paul says in in Romans 12, uh, where he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, What that means practically, then, is that we are going to live feeling like exiles 
here in this country. Uh, we're exiles uh, in, in, in the earth that will ultimately be our home. A bit of a paradox there. We're exiles in our future home, much like Abraham uh, was, was a stranger, a sojourner in the land of Canaan in his future home. Uh, scripture holds these two realities in tension. On, on the one hand, the earth is our home. Uh, in that sense, we're not exiles. We're right where we belong. Uh, we were made to dwell on this earth. And Jesus promises us, uh, Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is our home, our inheritance. Uh, but here, where we are right now in this culture, the earth is also not our home. Not here in this culture. We are exiles and aliens in the land that we one day hope to inherit. Uh, the, the kingdom of God will one day perfectly fill the earth, but that day has not yet come. And in the meantime, we will feel like and be treated like strangers in this world. Uh, we, we saw this as well when we studied the, the letter to the Colossians, that we belong to the kingdom of God, and we're called to be residents of that, uh, residents, uh, citizens of that kingdom, but residents on this earth, which means uh, the world around us will, will look at us as strangers, as aliens, as, as an odd people. Uh, so we live as exiles. Our hope is not here. Our identity does not come from here, and we don't take our orders from here. Uh, And that means then we'll be seen as strangers and foreigners by the world around us. This is a point Peter really develops in in this letter. People think that Christians are weird. (laughs) That's a a point Peter spends time on uh, and wants you to know. People think you're odd. They think you're, you're strange. They treat you like a foreigner. Get used to that. Uh, We don't do things the same as the world around us. Uh, We do marriage differently. We do uh, child-rearing differently uh, to such a degree that we we set up our own schools or or educate our children in our own homes because it's different than the world around us. Uh, They don't... uh, It's not compatible. Uh, We do holidays differently. Uh, We live by different sets of of priorities. Uh, There are events and cultural practices that we don't take part in. Uh, we have Halloween coming up, and, and we don't celebrate death like the world around us does. That, that's not something we value, something we cherish as, as Christians. Uh, so get used to it. The world thinks you're weird. The world thinks you're strange. Uh, as long as you take your cue from the life of Christ and the kingdom of Christ, uh, you're going to be strange to the world around you. And they might not like that, about you. They might not like you as a result of that. As, as those then who belong to Christ, uh, we are to have our hearts and our minds attuned to the voice of God, to the voice of Christ, uh, and shaped by the grace of Christ. Uh, and that means getting used to the fact that other people are not going to understand us. Uh, we don't listen to the same voices that they listen to. Uh, we, we live uh, uh, discordantly uh, with, with the world around us. Uh, 
Uh, so right from the outset, then, Peter sets that as the tone for, for this letter. Uh, you're going uh, to need to be prepared to, to hear this letter or read this letter with an awareness of the fact that you are a stranger. You are an exile in this world. Uh, and if you can't grasp that and accept that, uh, then this whole letter will not make sense to you. Why does Peter call us to be so different? And why does he prepare us so much for the opposition we're going to face because the world doesn't like different people. The world doesn't like uh, those who would take their cue from some other place. And you find that on every page, indeed in almost every verse, Peter comes back to this theme of, of opposition from the world. Uh, so Peter addresses the church as exiles. He also addresses them as elect. Exiles, elect, uh, that is, chosen exiles. Uh, and, and this is where he lays out the, 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 uh, the, the gospel message that this whole letter revolves around. Uh, elect uh, means that the reason that we are what we are, the reason that we are Christians, the reason that we are believers uh, and, and all that comes with that, exiles, citizens of the kingdom of God, the reason that we are what we are is because of God's pure grace in choosing us to be that, in extending that grace to us. Uh, election, uh, plain and simple, is, is love before time. It's God's love before we ever had a say in it. God's love in, in calling us to be who we are before we even uh, knew it. Uh, it's an adoption by a good father who chose us before we ever would have or could have chosen him. Uh, and, and that is, is the, the true definition of true and perfect love. Uh, it's God's love extended to, thus, uh, to, to those of us who, who could not uh, have, have chosen him back. Uh, Peter lays this out in, uh, in, in, in three parts. He divides it. So he says, elect exiles according to, and he splits that then into three different, uh, three different ways in which God has chosen us. Uh, and we should spend a moment looking at those. We're going to uh, develop these a lot more in the coming months. Uh, but look at the three ways in which God has chosen us. Uh, first of all, he says, we've been chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of the Father. According to the foreknowledge of the Father. Now, uh, that word foreknowledge gets a lot of abuse. Um, it's taken by some to mean that God essentially looks down the corridor of time and He foresees who would believe and who would have faith, and He says, I choose them. Is that what foreknowledge means? Uh, that, that is not... Uh, in, in, in anywhere else in, uh, in, in the Greek language, much less in the writings of uh, the, the church fathers, that's not what Peter meant by foreknowledge. Uh, foreknowledge is not God choosing those who would choose Him. It's God choosing those who never would have chosen Him. Uh, it, it's God choosing the unworthy, the proud, the degenerate, uh, to forgive and love and teach them His grace and make them His children in spite of them, in spite of the people who they were. Uh, when, God, when, when the Bible speaks of God knowing people, uh, including for knowing them, uh, it's always a synonym for God's love. 
when it speaks of God knowing. Uh, so Psalm 1, verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What does that mean? It mean it, it's a way of speaking of God's love. Uh, it's not God looking ahead and predicting uh, what they will do. It's God loving them. Uh, or Amos 3, verse 2 uh, God says to Israel, You only have I known in all the families of the earth. Uh, that cannot possibly mean God predicted how obedient and good and wonderful Israel would be as a people because they weren't uh, all that obedient and wonderful. Uh, that's not what God means when He says, You only have I known. It's a way of God speaking of God's love. Uh, And so, foreknowledge here, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, is God's love before time itself. Uh, God's love uh, to choose us. Uh, So we've been chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Uh, He also says, according to the sanctification of the Spirit. Uh, Now, this one might take a bit of explanation. Uh, Usually when we think of sanctification, we're talking about God making us more and more holy. It's what the Spirit does as He leads us, as we grow in in holiness. Uh, But in some places, sanctification also just means setting apart, or anointing to be set apart. Uh, And that is what Peter is referring to here. It's God's setting us apart by giving us the Spirit to to make us a holy, set-apart, distinct people, uh, which will, of course, include uh, and entail the Spirit's work as He he leads us, as He grows us and shapes us. Uh, But what what Peter is primarily referring to here is simply God has given us the Spirit and by so doing, has set us apart from all other people. The rest of the world doesn't know what it's like to live in and by the Spirit. You do. You've been given uh, the Spirit for that. Uh, The amazing gospel message behind this, then, uh, is that uh, God, in, in His grace, chose us, for, for reasons that only God knows. Uh, and then God set us apart uh, to be heirs of, of one uh, aspect of His grace after another. God says, I'm going I'm to take these people, I'm going to set them apart, and I'm going to show them my grace. Uh, and that begins by dwelling in them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so the Spirit's been given that we might come to know God uh, and love Him for the God that He is. Uh, and as a result, uh, the Spirit uh, changes us and transforms us. He takes that which is unholy and removes it and replaces it with that which is holy. Uh, he takes that which is impure and, and replaces it with that which is pure. Uh, and as a, as a result, we as Christians find ourselves uh, in the course of our lives, uh, with our desires changing, our, our affections, our, our loves uh, changing, our attitudes changing, uh, things that we used to, to, to hate, uh, we now find ourselves uh, loving and desiring, uh, particularly God Himself. Uh, things that we used to love, we now detest as evil, as unholy, as, as leading to death. That's the sanctification of the Spirit. He's set us apart to make us into a holy people. Uh, and 
and brothers and sisters, as, as we experience that transformation, uh, we need to know that is not our own, just our own personal private maturing. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, it's the outworking of God's choosing us. It's God chose us, and now we get to see the consequence of that as that lives out in our lives. God doesn't uh, choose us and love us from a distance. Uh, rather, He comes near and dwells within us. That is the grace of God. And finally, uh, what have we been chosen for? Uh, that's the, f- the third uh, aspect that Peter draws out. So we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of, of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for, he says, obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Uh, now, when, when Peter speaks of obedience uh, to, to Jesus Christ, uh, we should not think, first of all, of, of the, the sort of ethical commands, whether it's the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, the sort of do this, do that, uh, though that is part of it. Uh, but we should think bigger. When we're talking about obedience to Jesus, it's obedience to the gospel call. It's obedience, the obedience of faith. Uh, which is to say, uh, it, it is primarily believing in Jesus as our Savior. Uh, that's the obedience that, that Peter is first of all thinking of. Uh, what does it mean in an unbelieving world to, to be called to obedience? Uh, it means to believe before anything else. That's what, uh, that, that's what makes our lives so radically different uh, than the world around. And then all the keeping of the commandments or the following of Christ's uh, teachings uh, is an outflowing of that uh, heartfelt uh, obedience, that believing in Jesus. Uh, and that obedience then, for which you've been called as well as uh, chosen and equipped, uh, includes your entire life. Uh, so here's a, a big principle Peter will also Uh, develop for us, uh, obedience to Christ is not just something you do. It's someone you are. Uh, It's part of who you are. Uh, It's not just a a religious activity or a set of, of, of practices or activities that you add to your life. It is your life. Uh, Obedience to Christ is the whole of your life. Uh, It's your very being. Your hopes are in obedience to Jesus. Your dreams are are in obedience to Jesus. Your emotions are in obedience to Jesus. Your priorities and your values are in obedience uh, to, to Jesus. Your very identity, the who you are, that lives at the, at the center of yourself, is, is, in, is brought into obedience under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's answering the question, who am I? With, with the answer, I am one who's been chosen by God, set apart by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. That's, that's my very identity. Exactly as the, the first Lord's Day of the Catechism asks the question, what's your only comfort uh, in life and death? And it's, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Uh, that's what Peter means then when he says uh, being chosen for and sanctified for obedience to, to Jesus Christ. And with that uh, obedience also comes the sprinkling with Christ's blood. Uh, here we're reminded that Peter's a Jew. 
Uh, we don't forget it. Uh, and so Peter's uh, raised on, on all of the Jewish ceremonies. He's been to the temple uh, un- undoubtedly many, many times in his life and seen the sacrifices and seen the blood of those sacrifices sprinkled on, on the people. Uh, and that's, that's what Peter is referring to. Uh, the, the blood of Christ has been sprinkled on us to make us clean. Uh, so we're not just chosen and set apart and called, we're also cleansed for that calling. Uh, it's not like God has called us and then He says, now let's see if you can live up to that calling. It's God calls us, chooses us, and then cleanses us under the blood of Christ uh, so that we get to live in that grace without fear. Uh, we, we are called and sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Our sins are atoned for. Uh, by Christ, and that also shapes the whole of this letter. Peter's not writing uh, to those who are condemned, uh, and Peter's not writing in a way that condemns. He's writing to heirs of grace, and you see that again and again in in this letter. Uh, now, now again, this is this is uh, all the big picture that we're going to work out in the coming months. Uh, but I want to point out here that these two things: obedience to Jesus. And sprinkling with his blood are held together by Peter. They're held together. Uh, They're not two uh, separate things. You can't have one without the other. You can't uh, be obedient to Jesus but not sprinkled with his blood. And you can't be sprinkled with his blood and not obedient to him. uh, In that that primary sense of, of believing in him. Uh, True faith unites us to Christ and the whole of Christ in his death on the cross and his resurrection to a new life. And and that's a huge theme Peter wants us to get. Uh, We we are brought with Christ into a new life that's part of belonging to Christ. And it's not just what we're expected to do. It's not just the obligation of the covenant, to use that, that language. It's part of God's grace. You get to be a new people. You get to live a new life. That's God's grace to you. That in a fallen and broken world, you get to be uh, different. You get to be a new creation uh, in, in this world. Uh, so that obedience is, 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 is obedience to Christ in every part of our lives, both in responding to the gospel in, in faith and, and repentance, uh, and also uh, then following the, the footsteps of Christ in obedience to the Father. Uh, and all of that is done under the sprinkling of, of Christ's blood. Uh, so that's, that's the gospel message that Peter wants to drive home for us. And we're going to spend time uh, unpacking all those things in the coming months. I want to just conclude then uh, with uh, verse 2, a very short verse and and probably one we could skip over uh, without uh, thinking twice about it. Uh, This is the greeting that Paul, or or excuse me, that Peter gives to these uh, believers. Uh, And and it's what this whole letter boils down to. Uh, Peter addresses this this letter then to these scattered and persecuted uh, Christians. Uh, And he lays out God's grace. We just saw him do that. Uh, And then he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Uh, I want to just emphasize that's a lot more than just a standard greeting. It's not just high. 
Uh, He's saying grace and peace be multiplied to you. uh, And that's what this letter is all about. Think for a moment about what it means for Peter, of all people, Peter to be saying this. Now, you remember Peter, uh, that impetuous, uh, impulsive disciple who always jumped forward too soon, who always volunteered uh, too much beyond his own uh, ability, who always overestimated his faith and overestimated uh, his his strength and his courage. Uh, And perhaps the story that we most remember about Peter uh, is, is on the day when Christ was betrayed and arrested. Uh, and Peter had sworn, I would never leave you. I would never betray you. Uh, and, and as Jesus was on trial, Peter finds himself warming himself by the fire. And there a little servant girl recognizes him as one of the disciples. Uh, and, and Peter denies it three times, uh, even invoking a curse on himself, just total cowardice, uh, saying, I'm not one of that man's disciples. And in effect, he says, God damn me if I am. Uh, That's what he says. He calls the name of God and says he calls a curse upon himself in the name of God, saying, I'm not one of those disciples. That's Peter on the hour of Jesus' trial. Uh, In that moment, uh, Peter uh, recognizes the, co- uh, the, the rooster crows, and, and then uh, Peter recognizes uh, in that moment, I did exactly what Jesus said I was going to do. I failed as miserably as one could ever uh, imagine failing. It says he, he went away and wept bitterly. So now Peter talks about grace and peace. Uh, is there grace for a man like Peter? Uh, where the law says uh, the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain, is there grace left for a coward uh, who goes so far as to invoke the name of the Lord to forsake and deny the Lord Jesus? Well, there is. And Peter makes that clear from the beginning when he says grace and peace be multiplied. And we see that as well when Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, the first witnesses to see the, the tomb, of course, were the women uh, who had gone there to mourn. Uh, they were the first to see the Lord Jesus risen from the dead. Uh, but what did Jesus tell Mary uh, when, when she embraced him? Uh, uh, Jesus said to Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter. And Jesus highlights the name of Peter. He's one of the disciples. Uh, but he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Uh, and in a sense, it's, it's like, it's as if Peter has renounced his discipleship, where Peter separates him uh, from the other disciples. Uh, he, he, by denying the Lord Jesus, he ceases to be a disciple. Uh, but Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And, and when Mary did, uh, and, and shortly afterwards the disciples saw the Lord Jesus himself, or themselves, uh, Jesus spoke directly to Peter. We saw that in John 21. He says, Peter, do you love me? Uh, Peter uh, three times says, I do love you. Lord, you know uh, that I love you. Uh, three times Jesus asks him again uh, and, and concludes, then feed my sheep. If you do love me, feed my sheep. And that's what we see Peter doing here in this letter. He's feeding Christ's sheep because he knows he himself has been forgiven. He himself has received that grace and peace. And so even even a coward, even a failure, even a betrayer like Peter can be restored to God's grace. 
Uh, Peter, of all people, knew what it meant then. When he speaks of grace, he knew what grace means. He knew what that, uh, what that meant for him. And, and so it's his purpose then, as he uh, lays it out in the beginning of the letter, uh, that the churches too would come to know and experience the grace and the peace of God. And that's my prayer for us too as we work our way through this letter. Uh, may grace and peace be multiplied also to us uh, in, in every way, in, all, in every corner of our lives, as Peter's going to uh, get to those corners. Uh, may we too experience God's grace and the transforming power of God's peace in spite of our failures, in spite of our weakness, in spite of our own cowardices uh, like that of Peter. Uh, may we too come to know the grace and peace of God. That's what this letter is all about. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by 